0: Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at P.A. Howdy on Twitter. This week we have a conversation with Justin Boone, Fantasy Pro's most accurate expert for 2019, including seven top straights finishes, according to his bio. Um, a few people asked if I could see if I get him on the crossroads and he was gracious enough to agree and um, he didn't have very long which was my fault but I still really enjoyed my conversation with him and I found it really productive I think you're gonna like it uh, let me know what you think anytime and uh, enjoy the show
1: and at once. yeah because
0: the question is how do you play Dynasty but of course it, there's no one single answer, but uh, yeah. what about it occurred to you while trying to think about it? What seven things or what one thing really stood out to you, maybe?
2: Well, I I think, well, there's a lot. There's definitely a lot. But I, I think the mm-hmm. first one is that I think people need to be very humble. And th- this goes for like a lot of analysts in the industry be very humble about your projections and your outlooks for players. I think you get in trouble in dynasty when you just zero in and you think that you are 100% right. And then you overpay for a player or you overdraft a guy. That's when I think you start to put yourself in a bad position. And I think right now I feel really bad for fantasy players in terms of trying to figure out which analysts to follow and all that sort of stuff. Cause And maybe it's just, maybe we spend too much time on Twitter, but there seems to be a lot of bad fantasy content out there. There's a lot of great fantasy content too, but there's a lot of bad fantasy content. And I think that stems from analysts getting overconfident and believing their own hype or their own takes a little bit too much. So I want to stay humble. I want to make sure that I'm looking at every possibility. I want to make sure that I'm dabbling in, you know, there's some players that I'll completely avoid, but for the most part, I want to make sure that I'm kind of, getting shares of almost everybody, making sure that I'm kind of covered across the board for whatever could happen. So that just, that comes from, I was one of the guys and I haven't done it for a few years now in the fantasy pros accuracy contest, but I was one of the most accurate analysts and you can debate, you know, the, the value of that. I mean, there's, I think there's some good from it. Obviously it may be a little bit overblown at times, but nobody hits hundred percent. Even the people who are most accurate in that contest, no analyst is hitting 100% of the time. So I think staying humble and making sure that you're leaving yourself open to really any outcome, realizing that you can be wrong about a lot of stuff. And we all are. I mean, you know, Nikhil Harry comes to mind as somebody that I think a lot of analysts were were in on. um, Didn't work out, right? Didn't end up happening. And there's a million examples like that. So it's an odds game and you want to just put yourself in good positions where you could hit. But at the same time, being open to the fact that you know you could get stuff wrong and you should have exposure to most players, if not all players. The consistent way ADP,
0: for example, beats everyone year over year, but some people beat it sometimes in some ways, and I think that can make us overemphasize what we're capable of doing. But of course, the more interesting question for me is like. What's your bad advice, man? Let me let me know who was rolling out that bad fantasy
2: advice. No, we're not we're not going down that road. We're not we're not naming yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always <laughs> joked, I've always joked that maybe if I ever am ever gonna leave the industry, that I will do my ranking of fantasy analysts in the industry before I go and just log off. But that day is not See,
0: but I think we can connect the two. It's like stay humble, or even though we could probably say that with a little more tea. Um, But it's like uh, you don't think you're better than ADP. Like you might be right sometimes where you want to take very few shots and you want to take it relative to how much it quote-unquote should cost. Like I like Juju Smith-Schuster. There's no reason for me to take him in the fifth round. That's just ridiculous. He's a 10th round player kind of a thing. Is that mostly yep. what you mean?
2: Yeah. And then from there, I think we can tie it to – I think it's important to identify your strengths as a dynasty player, as a fantasy player in general. But, you know, for me, I think one of my main ones is just outworking everybody, like whether it's in my leagues, whether it's people in the industry, like just spending more time, being more on top of the news, you know, going over more data, watching, like just trying to put as much possible time into it so that when I do sit down to make decisions or do my rankings or write content or do videos or whatever, I have the most possible knowledge that I could have gotten into my brain at that moment to then make the right right decisions or produce the the best possible content. And there's other things too, right? Like if we're talking about specifically to dynasty, you know, figuring out, are you really good at identifying prospects? I noticed early on in my dynasty career, I wasn't having a ton of success with my prospect evaluation. And part of that was because I probably was getting to it way too late everyone else was getting a head start and I was coming around to it, you know, after the season ended and, you know, kind of closer to free agency. And i backed that up and backed that up and found more time to start earlier and earlier every year. But early on, when I realized that, that my draft picks weren't turning out, guess what? I started trading those picks away for veterans that I felt more confident in. And that helped me have more success in dynasty. You could get even more specific. Maybe you notice that, you know, you are stronger at identifying receiver prospects than you are running back prospects. And then you got to try to adapt and use that to your advantage. And so I think that's very important if you're winning in trades, then, and this is all, you know, obvious, I'm not teaching you anything here by saying this, but I think it's important for people to realize, and it goes back to the stay humble thing. What are you good at? And what are the areas that you need to improve or maybe you'll never be particularly great at and you need to adapt your fantasy game because of it. And I think one with the draft picks, that's an area that's to me is very important. There's some people that are lights out, but it's another area where we get a lot wrong, just like the NFL scouts get a lot wrong. Nobody's really nailing every single prospect they draft. So figuring out the different spots there that you might be able to have an advantage and the spots where you can pull back and then use those picks to acquire veterans. Guys who might be approaching that age cliff, but might have a couple of years of good production still left in them, and all of a sudden you get that player on your team versus waiting on that draft pick that might never hit for you.
0: You might be surprised, Justin. I I I know a lot less than I try and pretend I do. So like, keep going. <laughs> Tell me the basics because I've missed a few along the way. I'm sure. Yeah, I know. I, I like pointing out there are some things and. Until you find a way of doing well at something, it's better to find someone doing well at it and just see what they're up to. For example, quarterback evaluation. I gave up rookie quarterback evaluation. I got Patrick Mahomes, and then I was like, I'm not taking this risk again because this was mostly (laughs) luck. I find having a rookie evaluation process kind of invaluable in Dynasty. It's one area I can't just replace. Like quarterback evaluation, I can wait to see who's good. And I don't have to take the shots. I think uh, I have a way of doing that. But you're right that rookie evaluation is kind of the wild west of consistency. Uh, no one is good every year, pretty much. And even the ones that are good are even less consistent at having like a 50% rate. What do you do try and make up for what you felt, at least at the time initially, um, was a weaker part of your your game, that rookie evaluation, that prospect evaluation?
2: Well, like I said, at the time I started trading my picks away more often and being more open to, to grabbing veterans. What I did to improve in that area was I started buying more time to spend on rookies. So while I used to start sort of, like I said, around free agency time, because I figured, you know, if I jump in and I have a month or I have six weeks to go over it where that's my sole focus, well, I was overconfident. Of course, I'll be able to catch up in that amount of time. But Now I'm starting essentially right when the fantasy season ends back in January. And there's lots of great analysts who are starting well before that, who are covering these prospects full time. And I think it's valuable to look at what they're doing as well. But for me starting in January now, I feel so much better about where I'm at with those evaluations and still even still, I'm not getting every single one right, but I feel better about the shots that I'm taking on those guys now. So I find that I don't trade the picks away as often for example, I just went through my first like complete full rebuild tank this off season. I had never, I'm very competitive. I always want to be right in there trying to make the playoffs, you know, chipping a chair, give me a shot at the title. And this was the first time where I said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be able to do it unless I break it all down. And so I did, I have some players on the team that are good. I have, you know, Josh Allen and some guys that I like, but I traded away a Tyree Hill, Aaron Jones, some of these guys ended up with, I got lucky in the sense that the teams that I traded them to um, also did not make the playoffs. So I ended up with three of the first six picks in this year's draft. And that was incredibly fun. It was like a whole new experience. something I had never gone through before. And then I get into the feeling of, well, wait a minute, should I be holding these picks? Should I be trading these picks? And I ended up hanging on to them because I felt like that was my plan the whole time. And I wanted to go through it and I didn't get any offers for them that really blew me away. But, um, you know, it was it was super fun and something that I might not have even tried five years ago, you know, if I wasn't putting as much time into rookies as I am now. So it's it's, you know, not one that I would always recommend to everyone. I think people are too quick to want to rebuild. And I think people find a lot of fun in drafting and getting a bunch of early picks when maybe they could have contended and they might have been one or two (laughs) moves away from making the playoffs and you know getting lucky and but it, it was a great time for me and i really enjoyed it one other thing i should mention i'm curious for you on this one my thought process on dynasty my advice most i think almost all of the dynasty leagues that i play in are analyst leagues. And I love that because I want everybody in the league to know what they're doing. I want everybody in the league to be working from sort of a a similar baseline, but I'm not in a lot of leagues. I, I have a lot of redraft leagues where I have, you know, casual fantasy players, buddies, you know, back in the day, high school friends and stuff, but in the dynasty leagues, it's analysts. So it's a lot harder in my mind, in those leagues to find those little edges I'm curious if you're kind of in the same situation. Are you in a lot of leagues with analysts? Do you deal with the same thing? Because I wonder if that also is impacting my advice and how I approach Dynasty.
0: Yeah, I've been concerned about that particularly for a couple of years because I mostly just play with friends, which have slowly become all my friends do this. And so, I don't know, expert is a word, but no one is unaware of ADP. No one, no, one, No one doesn't know what players shouldn't be. And um, I've become conflicted on it because, in some ways, that makes it easier. Like, like you say, you you can assume a certain position on players, even if they ha- even if their ranks are different than ADP, they'll recognize that someone like Brock Purdy right now has more value than Trey Lance, even though Trey Lance has more upside. So you're not going to find them not understanding that, but they're also not going to sell you Brock Purdy cheap, and so and you're not going to find the wild swings in a league where there's less consistency in our acceptance of what is or isn't ADP or value. and So if it makes it easier or more difficult, I mean, it makes it both at the same time in a way. Live streaming every Wednesday and doing even the Rate My League podcast I've been doing lately with Zach. We look at actual leagues from actual people and just like you said uh, uh, about Dynasty in general. And as is true with most things in general, the more experience you get in something, the more comfortable you get in it. Um, and so the more I'm looking at leagues that aren't mine, I, I find the more comfortable I get that I'm actually hitting the mark on those as well. But it's true. It's um, each league is its own little tiny market, even though it's not a market, it's not a stock exchange. And so uh, like talking about on average or ADPs doing these Scott fishbowl dress as you're, you know, uh, doing yep. as well, everyone's doing it as well. It feels like, like, uh, you expect a certain player to be available and they're taking 20 spots earlier. And that's acceptable. Like, you know, that's going to happen. But at the same time, it's like, dang it. If this was one of my leagues, I would be able to get this team. But because you've got so many people trying to find so many edges in so many different ways, the ones you're looking for are a little harder to find as well. Sorry. Yeah, I you, you could argue. That, it's a really interesting question.
2: Yeah. you could argue too, from a a fun perspective, it's probably more fun to have the wild cards in there, right? It's I could count on one hand, like the amount of like uh, trade offers that I've gotten in dynasty leagues from other analysts that I thought were lopsided in my favor. It's so rare. And I, I know one specific time that it happened and I was messaging other people going, did I miss something? Like, is this player, did he break his leg overnight? Like what happened? I woke up to this trade offer and it was such an obvious hit accept, mm. and yet I wanted to give the other person, you know, the benefit of the doubt and go, oh, wait, wait a minute, there must be more to this. In the end, I accepted and it worked out great for me, but that's a different approach. I like the, the competitiveness of being in those leagues with the analysts, but those redraft leagues where I'm in with friends from home and stuff and guys are taking these wild swings it probably is more fun to, to play in those types of leagues.
0: Yeah, um, I had a moment in one dynasty where I was struggling with it a lot, but ended up doing really well. But I went back and looked over the league, which is not a thing I think enough people do, like go back and look over what you tried to do, what you managed to do, and then what effect it had. And I realized that if anyone had accepted any of my trades, I wouldn't have won. And I would have been a lot worse off by the time the offseason came through. And I was like, I, I felt so confident in those trade offers. And the people yeah. that reject them were so confident in rejecting them. And I'm like, you guys would have been so much better. And I would not have done I would That would have been bad for me.
2: No, I was going to say that goes back to the whole reason of not allowing vetoes in leagues, right? Because there's so many deals that go through. And at the moment, you'd probably get a consensus that everyone in the league felt one way, you know, strongly. And then a month later it's oh actually that trade was the complete opposite or that trade was way more even than we thought. And yeah. Yeah, it goes to your stay
0: humble point because the, the what in a veto league, I made two trades that got overturned and they would have won me the league. And that like that makes sense to me. I am the good fantasy guy. I should <laughs> the, they were wrong to reject my trades. But then I look when when I go back and look, there are so many instances where literally I would have killed my team if not, well, close to kill my team if half of the trade offers I sent and were rejected um, had been accepted. Um, and that showed me two things. One, my trades need work. I'm not I'm not as strong as I hope to be at trading or making trade offers. And two, neither are they. Like, all of them rejected it. And mostly, as, and the comments or feedback I got back was, they felt similarly to me that this trade was too good for me and too bad for them. And I was like, wow, we do. Yeah. Stay humble, man. Not literally none of us <laughs> knew what was going to happen. Yet we all made very confident decisions, the same decisions about what was good or bad. And um, actually that, that does give me a little bit of follow on here. Cause again, obviously there's no one answer, but I want to try as if there is, if you were going to give yourself more time or get rid of picks, How do you go about that? Is it looking for older players, Stefan Diggs and Tyreek Hill? It's a really good time to be shopping for older players right now. Is there a position you would hunt to get rid of rookie picks if you felt that was a weak part of your process? Or what kind of things would you target with rookie picks? Something that you, or would you just target the things you feel you're stronger on?
2: It, it really depends on need and, and team. There isn't one specific position. I think often those older receivers, if you get in at the right time, like you're mentioning a Stefan Diggs or a, you know, a Cooper cup or somebody like that. And Cooper cups, a good one. Cause he's coming off injury. And I think people forget just how good he was before that. But That's if fair. you can get those guys and people are so worried about, oh my God, they're approaching 30 or they just turned 30. But you could still get a couple good seasons. And if it's a guy like Cooper Cup or Keenan Allen, these really strong route runners that are probably going to be able to adapt as they get a little older and still give you production, even if it's not at an elite level, they're probably still going to be able to give you a you know, wide receiver two production or so on your roster. Those are are really smart pickups. I I think those are guys. And, you know, Mike Evans has been a guy like that for a long time. Tyler Lockett's been a guy like that for a long time. And you could still argue that I think those guys are are decent targets out there. But for me, and and this is probably the more actionable advice. So everyone should have just skipped ahead. That was all just you and I having a a good chat (laughs) and going over the... Let's get to some real actionable advice. The the way that I approach my startups in Dynasty, and I mean, I, I play in all super flex leagues. So I'm not in any single quarterback leagues, but I want to get at least one young, good quarterback. And that tends to be a first round pick. Normally you don't really get many of the the top guys outside of the first round in a startup draft. Then I want to try to get a few young receivers. Even if I'm overpaying just a little bit in the startup draft, I want to try to secure it. And a lot of the leagues I play in are, are deep starting rosters as well. So you're starting at least three wide outs. Some of them are start five wide outs, but I want to get those young receivers because they're going to give me the, the qu- young quarterback, the young receivers, they're going to give me the longest amount of time if I hit on them, which is, you know, another aspect of it. But if you hit on them, they're going to give you the longest runway to sort everything else out on your team. And if you want to throw in a, you know, young tight end, there's not many out there. You could love Kyle Pitts. Hopefully he gets back <laughs> on track this year, but somebody like that, you know, he could, and he's basically a receiver anyway, but. If he continues to to produce, you know, the way he did as a, a rookie, maybe we throw in a few touchdowns though. If he gets back on track this year, he's a guy that could give you kind of a long runway as well. If you hit on that, if you get that core down, you can, you have a lot of time to kind of figure everything else out and maybe you get lucky and you can grab some late running backs in the startup draft. Some of the older guys that still have value, but people aren't really as interested in And maybe that back fills that spot. You can be competitive right away if you hit on those. And if not, you got a lot of time. You got picks over the years to grab these rookie running backs and kind of fill those spots and bring the rest together. I know a lot of people talk about wanting to get two elite quarterbacks. It's amazing if you can. I find it very difficult to trade for elite quarterbacks to get one. So in my mind, that's a spot too, where you can get value. You can get, you know, a Brock Purdy. You can make a trade for a veteran guy. You could probably get Matt Stafford at a pretty decent price right now. Ryan Tannehill, a little more expensive after the DeAndre Hopkins move, but another guy that was putting up very good numbers prior to last season. He was a top 15 fantasy quarterback in fantasy points per game for three straight years. And then last year it dipped back down. But all of a sudden, now he's got a pretty good group of weapons around him. And when he's had that, he's been able to produce. So he's a guy that even though the price has gone up a little bit in the last few days here, somebody that I think you could get. And you could get those those older quarterbacks to fill that QB2 spot and as long as you've got the other pieces, I think it works. And then it comes down to roster construction for me. I normally because I'm spending up on that quarterback and on the the top young receivers, then I'm spending as many bench spots as I can on running backs because you get an injury or two during the season and all of a sudden boom, you get value from those guys and it's another way to kind of you know, trick your roster into performing by finding those running backs that nobody thought had value. Maybe they were the third running back on their depth chart. And all of a sudden, a couple injuries happen and you're the guy that was holding them and they're into your lineup and they're getting volume and they might not be a star talent, but we know opportunity for running backs is a big part of it. So that's how I approach the startups. And then the roster construction, it's trying to be as tight as I can at tight end, at receiver and at quarterback so that I can spend as many picks as possible or as many roster spots as possible on those running backs in hopes that one of them hits that I have that guy that comes through. And then you have the option. If you need him to be in your lineup. Great. If not, maybe you can trade him. You can get an extra pick a second, a third for essentially nothing just because you picked up that guy in the waiver wire and he ended up getting the opportunity that year.
0: Yeah. I think there are some, whether well, or no one answer to most of the questions I I ask. There are some good basic principles to most of them, and if you just have those as a baseline before you make a decision in a draft pick or uh, for a trade, you mostly do well. Roster spots are better spent on depth running backs than most of the things. Quarterbacks and tight ends play longer on average but have a slower development overall early, and those set you up pretty well. I'd also like to throw out Michael Thomas. He's a 30-year-old wide receiver that everyone hates, like Keenan Allen is next. But Michael Thomas hasn't played in a minute. He recently, I think he's working off to the side in minicamp or something, but not even active uh, participant in practice yet. But again, one of those players that worked mostly from routes or in shorter areas of the field. So he could definitely benefit this year. Um, On a trends level, 2023 is set up to be a year we see more players returning to the top 12 than breaking out for the first time. So I think those players are interesting to target as well oh, how long does it take? And again, there is no one answer. But when is a player no longer a prospect and starts to become someone you have an opinion on? Now, obviously, you prefer to have him. Tyree Kill's career behind him or Stefan Diggs probably is a better option to make an opinion. But do you try and get as early as possible or do you have any ideas on how long you should wait before you are sure on a particular position?
2: Yeah, I don't know if I, you know, you ever feel a hundred percent sure, but for me, we do all the work on the prospects in advance, and then it's the minute that we see them on the field with other NFL players. As soon as we get that, even if it is the preseason, that gives us a data point. You know, maybe you want to see what they do in regular season games in the the first month or so. But I don't think it takes that long if you're doing the work on them as a, a prospect in advance, and then you get to see them on the field against other pros. I think, you know, pretty early whether they're going to be able to stick in the league, whether they, I would call it like whether they belong out there. Right. And right, right. the the best move is to be aggressive about those guys that show early in my mind. And, and like you said, the the guys that I don't so. hit in year one, I've taken plenty of shots on them. I've grabbed guys as, you know, by lows going into their sophomore season, going back to Nikhil Harry, he was somebody I got him very cheap. It was like a third round rookie pick and. Still feels bad when you get it,
0: like it wrong that. twice, though, doesn't it? Well, yeah. I think
2: in that in the trade, it was like everyone was wrong, like, you know, yeah, exactly, yeah, was yeah. Great, but they didn't get enough for him, so they didn't really get much. I didn't give up much, and it didn't really work out for me. And that moment that you drop them off your roster doesn't feel great, right? But, um, I, I think it's pretty early on in my mind, it's just you know, having that initial thought of, you know, I know what this guy is as a prospect. Does he look like he belongs out on that field? And sure, there's going to be outliers always. There's going to be guys that develop. You never know what kind of chip guys have on their shoulder, and that's the part too in, in fantasy that I think you know we don't know. One of my first jobs, you know, before I got into fantasy, was I worked for the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. I was the staff writer for their team, and I got to see what the the players how they approached it and what kind of the day to day life was like for them. And one of the things that we will just never know is what's going on in that locker room. How are guys getting treated? What are the relationships like between players when a rookie comes in? Is he embraced by the team or are the veterans looking at him? Like we don't want this guy around. This guy's threatening our (laughs) position and now they're button heads and that could make it harder for them to get to where they need to go. Right? Like that's an aspect that I just, I don't know, you know, some of the beat writers are good about picking up on that, but for the most part, we'll never find that out. And that's something that can really impact them as rookies uh, in terms of their career. And even if they are a great prospect, it it could be tough for them to overcome it. And that could set a guy's career. You know, it makes me think of Trey Lance, for example, right? Like, I don't know exactly how he's being treated <laughs> in that locker room, but yeah, you don't know. doesn't it seem like the coaching staff didn't seem like they ever really wanted him? And a lot of the players seem like they liked Jimmy Garoppolo better and they were friends with Jimmy and, you know, all of a sudden now we're a couple seasons and some injuries and what's going to happen with Trey Lance? He's probably going to have to go to another team and, and get a fresh start somewhere else. And you hope that on that new team, all of a sudden, you know, he'll be able to uh, to, to hit and to click and get his opportunity there. You only got like two minutes left.
0: Um, Do you want to tell people where they can find you, where your ad is, or anything else? Because I have the other question I was going to ask is, like, who is one player that's standing out to you this year that you would want to send an offer on in your Dynasty League? Whether you get it or not, because you don't want to be too strong. But that's what I've got left, so it's up to you. (laughs)
2: Let's do them both. Um, So guy that i want to acquire it's hard to nail it down to one but one of the other items that i had on my list that i didn't get to was and i think people have said this before but the idea of like buying when there's blood in the streets right like the the idea of when the public perception on a player is down that's the time when you go and get them if you feel good about that player and a guy this week very topical Traylon burks was someone that i wanted to trade for all off season i was trying to get him early in the off season and then we started getting the reports that he showed up to OTAs and he was more confident and he was in better shape this year, finally, and he was looking great. And now, boom, DeAndre Hopkins shows up and, you know, everyone's going to look at him and go, okay, now you got to bump him down. I did see some people on Twitter say it was a good thing for Traylon Burks. I don't think it was a good thing, but it doesn't prevent him from still breaking out, but it's going to make it a little okay. more difficult. Regardless, now's the time to try to make a move and, and get him, in my opinion, um, I mean, there's other guys that come to mind. I mean, Brandon, Ayuk, I don't think we've seen his ceiling yet. He's someone that I've absolutely loved. He's one of those young receivers that I probably overpaid for in some startups, just expecting that there was going to be a massive ceiling there. And I think this year we're finally going to see it. Um, and then if you want to go like cheap guys, like David Montgomery, um, we know what his role is going to be. Don't we like, yes, we were more excited before Jameer Gibbs got there, but We saw last year two backs in that backfield be very, very productive, and Dave Montgomery has been a guy that if you put him into a role, if he's in an offense, if he he has good matchups, if his strength of schedule is favorable, he can produce, and I kind of think he's going to just step into that Jamal Williams role, and all of a sudden, if we see Jameer Gibbs get hurt or something, then, you know, boom, he could explode. Um I don't know. Those are a, a few. Taji Spears is, is somebody that talk about public perception being down. The the whole thing that came out around the draft about his knee. Yeah, that might be a, a longevity problem, but you might get a player for the first, you know, three, four, five years of his career that can really produce for you. Um, and Derrick Henry, he's starting to get to that point where we could see a drop off with him. Um, you know, they might move on from Derrick Henry after this season. Uh, you know, maybe the the window for them to contend is going to be a little longer now that Hopkins is there and if he can still produce. But Taji Spears is somebody that I think is going to get receiving work there right away. And if you get a Derrick Henry injury or if Derrick Henry gets moved, all of a sudden Spears could be the guy in that offense and you, you get a discount there. So I don't know. Th- those are some. And then people can find my content names, for yeah. free. <laughs> people can find my content for free uh, at the score. Our 2023 fantasy football draft kit is coming out this week. So it's just got a a ton of information in there. Uh, All the work done in there is by me as well. So you're finding really all my content from, you know, the rankings to uh, dynasty trade value charts to, you know, the usual breakouts and sleepers and strength of schedule and all that sort of stuff. And then the score fantasy football podcast Uh, right now, we're doing a couple episodes a week during the season that'll crank up even more. Um, and we're going to have to have you on because it's been uh, long overdue since you and I, you know, connected and uh, it was great to, to come on and get to talk to you and I'd love to have you on uh, our show as well. Yeah, anytime, okay, man. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a
1: crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run, fold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. In my nose don't really know if i like that picking the brains got their lanes but i like that Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight Back and forth, there is no order They disorder more and more because the players ain't no older They some hoarders or some mortars Dropping bombs without no borders You got that eye, eye like mortar Peak grinding numbers like molars I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so Jake on the table and they on the plays though. Beating no more, it's a the place they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So Jake on the table and they on the plays though. Beating no more, it's a the place they're analytical.